Welcome to Brotherly Pod, I guess, here, Frequent Flyer, <laughs> Flyers AD, Brotherly Pod, post-game show! Thanksgiving special! Thanksgiving special, that's right, November 24, 2021, Wednesday, uh, day before uh, American Thanksgiving. So naturally, we're going to bring on our Canadian friend here to, uh, you know, help us out. Uh, Anthony DeMarco is back, as always, Anthony. How you doing? Yeah, man. Getting ready for Thursday tomorrow yeah. up here in Canada. But for you guys, it's a pretty, it's a gorge fest down there, eh? Oh, is it like an all weekend extravaganza? Yeah. It's like an all weekend extravaganza? You eat on Thursday and then you have leftovers from Friday to Sunday. And then next week you get back on your uh, normal uh, normal schedule. Yeah. And then the detox begins. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Three months of regret afterwards. But uh, from a frequent flyer, Mike Asito is joining us tonight. Mike, how you doing? Oh, just excellent, gentlemen. Thanks for letting me join you tonight on this uh, great Thanksgiving Eve. I have uh, my turkey uh, is brining in the refrigerator right now uh, and getting ready for a massive food fest over the next couple of days, like you guys had mentioned. Uh, I'm trying not to eat that much, but you got to eat a little bit to keep yourself primed. So uh, <laughs> I'm trying to get, you know, on that on that mode right now. <laughs> well, uh, in case you didn't hear, uh, the Flyers lost again. Believe it or not, uh, this time in overtime to the Florida Panthers. Uh, the story of the game was Martin Jones is phenomenal, uh, as he has been through the whole season. And uh, Travis Connecting looked good. Probably his best <coughs> game overall in two years, at least. And then he looked like shit in the overtime and almost cost him the game. So, way to go, TK, as always, looking like shit. And uh, otherwise, it was just a typical Philadelphia Flyers, boring as shit, lackluster overall, shitty fucking shitty hockey game. That I subjected myself to, sober nonetheless. Haven't started drinking yet. <laughs> I I I don't even know what to say anymore. As we were talking about before we started recording here, like this is not the kind of game where I want to come on here and yell and scream and be that kind of angry. This is the kind of angry where I want to turn the game off and never watch the Flyers again. Sell my jersey collection. Move on to a different hobby with my life. Be a professional tiddlywing player or something just fucking tired of it i'm so tired of the philadelphia flyers playing like shit every night god damn it well you know we're at a point now where you know it's kind of like 
you know, we're the father and and the kid screws up and we're not mad. We're just disappointed yep. at at this time. Um, there's not a whole lot to be said about this team. I mean, right now, you know, if you look at this game, Martin Jones was the story here. Uh, you give that man a cigar for getting a point for these guys tonight. But other than that, we've seen offensive woes continue. They score one goal from Joel Farabee in the first period um, on a breakaway, which is pretty much the only way they score right now, and couldn't generate a whole lot in the offensive zone, uh, kept the puck out of their own net and squeaked by. Certainly not sustainable, but you know they get one point out of the road trip. Well, I caught maybe the last 25% of that game, all in all, and it just kind of looked like almost Groundhog Day, right? You know, the Flyers trying desperately to fend off a much more skilled and faster team and relying on borderline elite-level goaltending. And look, I said it earlier in the week that you should never be apologetic for great goaltending. You look at the best goalies in the NHL this year, Bobrovsky, Campbell, like these are all guys that are on the top tier teams in the NHL. But being that being said, the only difference is, is that those teams are atop the NHL and the Flyers are trying to just tread water in the wildcard picture. And it's kind of getting to a point now where you kind of don't even know what the answer is anymore. And, you know, you bring up Morgan Frost, and I guess you guys can touch a bit on that to try and, like, help in any form or fashion down the middle of the ice. But is he just not another face in the crowd? So I'll pitch it to you guys. Like, I guess, Dan, you could go first. Like, how did Frost look tonight? He was fine. I, you know, I, I think that top six, the, the, the reshaped top six, I think, looked semi-decent. Like I said, Konechny had, had a pretty decent night overall. But he's just a dude, which is kind of what I expected. I'm not. I, I didn't expect this guy to suck, but I didn't expect him to, you know, come up and save the day by himself. So the fact that he's just a dude, I guess, is is good, but it's not good. You know, it's it's that weird mix of of you know his expectations are so goddamn low, and I guess he kind of met them. But you know, we all knew he was not going to come up. Maybe besides Dan Silver, we all knew he was going to come up and save the day and score you know forty goals and whatnot. So I don't know. He's just a dude. He's there to help. He's center depth, but. You know, it's pretty apparent that they need a little bit more help than just Morgan Frost. Yeah, I agree with that, Dan. I, I was trying to pay attention for him tonight, but he wasn't, to be honest, wasn't all that noticeable. The first he, period, uh, a couple good ones. But beyond that, was he just faded back into the crowd. Yeah, he looks a little bit more assertive than he has in the past. Uh, he looks like he's a stronger skater at the NHL level now, um, able to compete a little bit better than he had in the preseason and the last time he was up last year. Uh, but that said, I'm not seeing anything particularly special from him. Obviously, it's his first game, playing with some new guys, getting acclimated, that sort of thing. A lot of pressure on him right now. But uh I didn't see anything spectacular. I don't think he's going to be a major impact guy that's going to change the trajectory of where this team is going right now. Um, it's great he's here, and if he does something, you know, in the future, fantastic. You know, while Hayes is out, I'd like to see him stick with the NHL club now, just so we can get a read on him. Uh, but I really didn't see him as the guy that's going to be like, oh wow, okay, this tide is changing. You know, it, it's weird because let's say rewind this back to, you know, before Hell on Earth days in Philadelphia to 2011-12 and you had Claude Giroux and Danny Briere as the one-two punch and they were able to just ease in Sean Couturier in kind of like a, no, not a no-pressure role, but just as a 3C, 
you come up, you just got to be a good, solid, all-around player. And with Frost, it's like, I think it's kind of twofold where half of it was just unrealistic expectations from a lot of this fan base and writers who just, you know, promoted him as the next coming of Claude Giroux for far too long. And secondly, because he has run into injuries, he hasn't been able to translate his dominant offensive game from the OHL to, to the professional level. But I said this with Dan, and I think that if the Flyers were better set up at the NHL level, let's say you had Sean Couturier and Kevin Hayes playing like one and two C's should, and he had to just come in and just like, no stress, man, just come in, play your game, be your three C, and, you know, we'll deal, we'll roll with the punches, there's going to be a learning curve, all that. I think it would be better for him, probably the coaching staff, for management, but now it's because every time he comes up, everyone's just like, Here's our guy. This is the guy that's going to turn the tide. And it's not fair to the player. It's not fair to the team. And in reality, I've said this going back to last year when everyone thought, you know, he was going to blow the doors off in training camp and, you know, claim the 3C, that I think he's going to get there one day. I think he's going to be a solid middle six player, center, wing, whatever it may be be a good, consistent NHLer, but is, like Mike, you just said it, is that going to change the trajectory of the franchise? No, it isn't. And at the end of the day, this team just needs more. They need an actual impact player. And Dan, you said it earlier this week, he's their last in-house ace in the hole, and he is just simply not good enough. He's just not going to cut it. And, you know, even if he comes up and plays acceptable and he's not getting dominated like he was a couple years ago, which I fully don't expect him to, you know, if the offense was clicking and Giroux and Farabee and Atkinson, they were all scoring at a regular base, you can surround him with enough talent to hide his faults, to make him have somewhat of a modicum of success. And, and But with the offense struggling, now the pressure falls back on Frost almost specifically to 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 produce, and he's not—he's just not going to do that. You know, if this team were in a perfect scenario, like you mentioned with Katuria, where you could work him in as kind of the two C on a scoring line, that'd be great. But you don't have that luxury because nobody knows how to score anymore. So now you just got to kind of deal with it, and he's here. And the best you can hope for—apparently, the Broussard injury is not serious. Uh, that seems to be the early word on that, was that it, it's not too bad. Which I guess is good, because they need all the fucking help they can get right now. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I just... He's fine. I I, I was... A, I don't want to say a fan of Frost, but I liked what I saw out of him for the most part in the AHL this year. And he, through one game, kind of continued to do exactly what I saw. So it, it's just, it is what it is. But, you know, it's pretty goddamn clear that this guy is not a legitimate solution to solving the lack of scoring. No, and even if he gets there, it's going to take them. It's going to take him a little bit of time here. He's not going to come in immediately. Let's say he does get to his ceiling fairly quickly in a best case scenario. Well, what is that? Like a few months from now? Well, at that point, this team will be buried in the standings. And at that point, it's going to be too big of a hole to dig themselves out of. So, like we've said for many years with regards to other areas of the team, these timelines are just so out of whack. Nothing is matching up here. And even if he does get to that point, I think it's going to be too late. So as you guys alluded to, 
there has to be something else here. The Flyers have hit a dead end. They they had so many different ways to go left or right throughout the past couple of years, and now they're in a cul-de-sac and it's a dead end, and they just spin in circles or they go back the other way. And that's one of the reasons that it's been so frustrating to watch them the past couple of weeks is because we all see it. We know what's going to happen here, and it's just a matter of time before the shit really hits the fan. Yeah, it, it seems like, and, you know, I get people asking me, like, the DMs and, you know, Twitter questions, and, you know, Dan and I get to those uh, soon, but, like, everyone's just like, well, what's the end game? What's the end game? It's just like, well, unless they pull off some miracle trade where you bring in a hurdle or a Larkin and you kind of push all your chips into the middle by, you know, sacrificing a Farabee or Konechny or York or any of these guys who everyone is just so horned up about because, you know, anyone under the age of 25 is fucking untouchable. This is going to be an abject failure. Anything between going all in with a Larkin or a Hurdle or a JT Miller or blowing it up is a failure. Mm-hmm. And I said this all last season. And Dan, we did all the shows together that it is borderline impossible to turn whatever the fuck last year was into a contender. And Fletcher did everything within the confines of a realistic and flat cap world to try and do that. And you know what? Any every single one of his moves in a vacuum, I think, paid off, you know. Voracek for Atkinson. Voracek's obviously the better player. I think we could objectively say that, but that was just so much more cap, culture, this, that, and the other thing. Broussard for what he brings, you know, I think he's exceeded expectations. Yandel and Thompson, their league minimum deals, what do you want? Jones has been brilliant. Ellis, when he's actually fucking there, has been awesome. Ristolainen has been fine. So he, I would say, of all of those moves, he probably hit an A minus if you take them all into consideration, and it's still not enough. And now you could say if Hayes was there, if Ellis was there, would it be better? Well, obviously it would be better, but what would they be? Just like a consistent, they would just be like locked into a playoff spot? Is that what the payoff to all these years is? Is just being a consistent playoff team? Because that's what they were in 13-14. People forget That when Hextall took over this, they finished, what, third in the Metro. They had a very good season. They had seven guys hit 20-plus goals. They had a core, a good core group of forwards in Simmons and Giroux and Voracek and Shen and Couturier, who were all still relatively young. So you did all this fucking bullshit just to get back to maybe where you were? Like, that's the frustrating part. And look, if you want to go all in and sell the farm and go all in and... You know, you have a two-year window. Okay, fine. You have to make with what you're given. But if it's just, okay, this half-pregnant approach just to get back into the playoffs, it's a failure. Yeah. The 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 injuries are piling up. And it's un- but it's kind of twofold there. Would Hayes and Ellis make this team much better than they are? Yes, of course. Are those the kind of players that are going to take them from whatever the fuck they are now to Stanley Cup contenders, no. You know, uh, Hayes is not going to come back and put up 50 goals and be a dynamic offensive guy. You know, Ellis, I'm sure, would help write the ship back there. Sweet Jesus! This fucking Nick Sealer fellow and uh, Keith Yandel are, are testing my patience at this point. But, uh, you know, and it sucks because they're hurt. 
you know, you cannot properly analyze this team, and that's kind of why I think I'm not hitting the panic button quite as hard as most people are. I mean, fucking Flyers Twitter's in full-on meltdown mode right now over this shit. And I'm just trying, I am to an extent trying to be rational. Maybe it's just because I'm getting older, and I don't have the patience in me to lose my shit <laughs> after every game in November. But, like, th- there's enough doubt here that, you know, that with the injuries and whatnot and just everything going wrong, that, that if things were aligned, they would at least be a little better. But to Anthony's point, even if they were healthy, I don't think this is a legitimate cup contender, but it's hard to get a read on just how good or bad they are without a healthy roster, which they have not seen. Has everybody been together once this year yet? Maybe like the Dallas. second or third game of the season? Dallas is, oh, that is true. They were both back in Dallas. Dallas. And they got their and they got hurt. Kicked. So how the fuck did that work? Yeah, no, it it was bad. I and and kind of going back to Anthony's point here. I think that and I put a tweet out on this recently. I think that I think that Chuck Fletcher and company have done exactly what their marching orders have been from Dave Scott. And that is Dave Scott says, look, Ron Hextall set the table for you. We went through our rebuild and he obtained all of these good young players. And we have these veterans now and we need you to come in and be the closer. You need to come in and, and get a couple veterans, get a better coach and let's go for it. But the problem is, is that the table wasn't really set all that well to begin with. And there's too much reshuffling that needs to be done to make a legitimate shot to be a Stanley Cup contender. Um, And one of the other issues with this is that not only does Dave Scott not really realize that, at least from my understanding, but what I'm reading the tea leaves when I hear Dave Scott speak at various press conferences, and there haven't been many of them, but there's been a couple of them over the years. And I hear this this mantra of all we got to do is make the playoffs and who knows what can happen. Let's just get in, just get in. And I think that if that's your standard, you are woefully wrong here because so many teams make the playoffs in the NHL. Obviously, there are a couple of examples of low seeds winning the cup. I think the Kings were one of them. Yeah. Um, I don't think the Blues were that high seeded when they won. But it's not it's not the norm. It is by far the exception to the rule. And when you are modeling your franchise to become the exception to the rule, you're not doing it right. Uh, and that's my main issue with it. And I think that Fletcher and Flair and everyone in the front office is just doing what they're told because they don't want to go through another rebuild per Dave Scott. He wants to collect some more veterans and make a push. The problem is we just see this not working. And I think Fletcher knows it's not going to work, but it's his job on the line. He's got to do what he's told. Uh, And that's kind of what I think about it right now. And I think that's why we're going to stay in the middle here. And it's it's just it's going to end up very, very bad very soon. I do feel bad for Fletcher in all of this. Because it feels like he's trying his goddamnedest, given his role, given the financial, you know, struggles that you know the NHL is going through with the, the the flat cap and all that he did this year. Like he clearly had, he knows what the fuck is wrong and tried to address it, and they still suck. You know, it's just it's too bad, man. It's too bad that the timeline crashed. And this is something we've been talking about for fucking years. Is it didn't take a goddamn rocket scientist to look at the fact that all your stars were aging and your young guys weren't that good like two or three years ago to say, man, this is going to have a bad outcome. And here we are. We're finally at that point where you're reaching the time when Drew and Couture just can't do it anymore. And the guys that were supposed to take the baton and run with it, the Farabees and Konechnies of the world, just aren't cutting it. And now you're stuck in this weird middle ground and... <laughs> 
they're still in the middle ground. What I mean, what do you do now? Do you burn it all down after trying so hard all summer, or do you take one further step into madness and sell the rest of the farm, which isn't a whole lot at this point, and try and salvage whatever you can of this season? And it's just, I don't know. I don't know what they do from here. The fact is, is that Fletcher jumped on a runaway train. Yeah. That's essentially what he stepped yep. into, and he came into a situation where they're just like, We've been rebuilding for four and a half years, have nothing to show for it, really, and you got to come in here and fix this. But by the time he picked up where Hextall left off, that first half season, he was just, you know, clearing out the coaching staff, getting rid of, like, the Weeses of the world. And then that summer, he tried to go get some insulation veteran pieces, which worked. You know, 1920, before the COVID stoppage, really did work. But it seemed like 1920 was like the last year where that you had a shot with this group. If Fletcher got his hands on this team before 1718, which felt like that was the year that if you had Provorov, uh, not Provorovs, if you had Niskanens and Brons and Hazes in that year when Giroux and Voracek and Katori and Ghost and Provorov were all going off and Simmons was still a relevant player. I think that was like the year that everything was supposed to come together. But Michael, I'll, I'll answer your question that you said, like, how do you assess the direction of the franchise given the apparent trajectory and can Fletcher go for broke or are they just going to continue to flounder in like this bubble team obscurity? And for me, the thing that scares me is that I spoke to Mike Yo before the season started and I was just like, what are your internal expectations And he reiterated it like our main goal is to get into the playoffs. We have to make the playoffs. And it's like it was almost like I was talking to a guy who was coaching like the Ottawa Senators. Like they're (laughs) coming out of like this like three year scorched earth rebuild. Kachuk is up. Norris is up. Batherson, Chabot, all these guys. And it's just like that's the next step. Kind of like when the Flyers made the playoffs in 15 and 16, when Steve Mason went on that crazy run and everyone was like, yeah, yeah, they made the playoffs and they got curb stomped, but no one cared. But now it's just like you're in 2021, soon to be 22, and that's the end game here. Like I spoke to Eric Tulski, the AGM of the Carolina Hurricanes a couple weeks ago, and he told me like, no, we want to win the cup. We want to win the Stanley Cup. It's in his quote is in my story. And it's just like that's the difference of these teams. And it's like the Hurricanes like almost lapped the Flyers. Like they like they tried a uh, like a half pregnant approach with like Peters and Francis. And then they tore it all down and came back with like Waddell and Brindamore and now surpassed them. And the Flyers are just in this spot where. Fletcher's and Dan, you said this earlier this week. He swung too far into the win now mode by extending Couturier and you know going out with Ellis and Ristolainen type of trades. Where can you even go back and try and blow it up at this point? It's not a great look, is it? If 
You know, by the time the they trade can't. deadline rolls around, where you have to sell everybody that you just worked so hard to resign, like, hey, uh, you know, Phoenix, we just gave you, you know five draft picks to take Sean uh, to take Shane Goss's bear. Can we have those back? <laughs> like, you know, it's not great uh, that they put themselves in. And if we're looking through that thread of questions you asked, uh, Maddie P here says, "Hi, Anthony, long time, first time. Uh, <laughs> hope you're ready for Chris's. My question: What the fuck?" And Maddie, I do appreciate that question because that's a pretty goddamn good one right now. Uh, I don't know. And I don't have a good answer for you on that one. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you do. I guess it depends on, on whether or not they can turn this around in the next few games. Whether or not AV survives to coach next week, which I fucking assume he will at this point. But I don't know. I'm, I, I don't have an answer for this shit. I, I I I don't. I, I I love to come on here and rant and rave like a madman, but we're at a point where I don't know what you do. You can fire AV. I don't give a shit if you fire AV at this point or not. I'm done with this guy, okay? I don't care. But it doesn't solve any problems. You still have an injury-riddled roster with shitty forwards that's not going to win anything. You know, Whoever you put in the guy, and fucking dollars to donuts, Mike Yow's the next head coach. And I don't want that. Not 80, I put a poll out this morning, 88% of like 150 people don't want either. So they want to fire AV, but they don't want the next logical option to take his spot. So, I don't know. I don't know how you work yourself out of this one. You just got to kind of hope that this team collectively pulls their heads out of their asses in the next few weeks here. And you do have some easy games coming up. So, hopefully, you know, if they were scoring goals, I don't think this would be nearly as overblown as this whole situation was. But the thing is, if they don't score goals for two or three games, okay, it's a talking point. We come on this show, hey, they're not scoring a lot of goals. Four, five, six games, okay, this isn't good. It's been like 15 now, and they haven't scored any kind of goals. It's been all season. You know, the first five games of the season have been a complete outlier towards the rest of the year. And I don't know how you fix that. I don't. Unless you go out and you... Try and maybe the Vancouver Canucks, the Flyers and Canucks, two teams that are in complete fucking tailspins, just try and make a big trade for the sake of making a trade to spark something within both organizations. And you can walk away with, you know, Besser and Jonathan Tonathan Miller at this point. I'd do it in a heartbeat. But, like, beyond that, I don't, I don't have a good answer for you right now, especially in late November. No, I agree with you guys completely. And what Anthony mentioned and what you had mentioned, Dan, about swinging so hard in the other direction, I think, really resonates and sets the course here because there's no way to come out of it like you had mentioned. If you're going to hand out these kind of deals and make these acquisitions like you did last summer, at this point, you might as well just go as hard as you can. And if this thing crashes, then so be it. There's no way to get out of this. You know, we had, I had been kind of floating this fantasy idea of trying to trade Sean Couturier before this summer, yep. you know, for the sake of getting out of that contract. Obviously, they're not going to do that. But that's kind of where my mind is right now is like, how can I how can I get out of this? Because this is going to end up really bad. And if you can't do that, which they can't, then you might as well go in the other direction and just keep your foot on the gas pedal. And that involves making additional trades to mortgage the future. So if I was Chuck Fletcher and I had clearance from Dave Scott, and I don't know if he does, 
But I would I would say, look, we've come this far. We need to start to trade even more prospects and more picks to bring in other players that can contribute right now. Uh, and if it crashes and burns, then so be it. You'll rebuild a year or two later than you anticipated. Uh, whatever. Because they're not going anywhere now and they can't rebuild. So the only direction they can go in is forward. And if it crashes and burns, so be it. So that's what I would do. Unfortunately, you know, as I think, Dan, you've mentioned ad nauseum, most teams don't make any big trades this early in the season. It just doesn't happen. That's not to say it can't. Um, and I think the Flyers should make a huge trade and overpay. Who the hell cares if you overpay? I don't care about, you know, the next four first round draft picks. What does that matter? You know, if you're going to be able to lock in your one, two and three C for the next uh, four plus years, then I don't think those picks are that important anyway. And you're trying to win now. So let it bleed. Um, but that's the only direction I can see them going in. Uh, there's, I have no answers in any other area, like you guys mentioned. It's not like you have a much of future with this current group of prospects anyway. You only, you only have a few players worth of shit. Forrester, York, Zamula, Frost, and Mamie Desnoyers. If you want to count Sam Erson and Sandstrom, more power to you, but, uh, you know, they're fairly untested. Like, what? <laughs> that's not even a future to build on at this point, you yeah. know? They're just a bunch of What are of you dudes. protecting? You know, if you're going full, you know, you, you, you took this big of a step in this direction. You may as well just continue to burn it down. Just go for broke. At least try. No, I, I, I I don't, you really can't walk back on it. You can't, you know, trade Alice at the deadline. Right. Like that would be, I'm sure that would fucking go over well. Right. Yeah, it's just well then nobody's gonna want to play here. That's the thing. If you start doing that stuff, yeah, then you're never gonna get yeah. free agents, and it just creates a bad, uh, like really bad optics for the organization. So because I think things that are happen. so great right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> well, and that's the thing is that now that you're locked in with Hayes and Katori, who are making a shade under fifteen million dollars combined for four years starting next season. And you're not going to get out from under that. To your point, Ryan Ellis is here for, what, another five years at 6.25, a very good contract. And then, you know, you have got a guy like Cam Atkinson, who I still make that trade for several reasons, culture, cap, all that. But he's a year older than Voracek, and his contract is a year longer than Voracek. So these are four guys in Hayes, Katori, Atkinson, and Ellis who aren't going anywhere who are getting up there in age, more so Atkinson and uh, Ellis, but still four guys who next year I think will all be at least 30 years old. And then you factor in the other veterans on this team, like if Claude Giroux sticks around, if JVR sticks around, like these guys can't be moved. Like you swung too far in the opposite direction, so just go full homegrim on this bitch, for lack of better term. (laughs) Literally, just be like, look, we have... No other alternative here. And Mike, to your point, you know, and Dan, you mapped it out brilliantly, is that like even the best prospects in the organization, even if Zamula and York and Forster all show up, like, okay, so you have more left shot defensemen and more right wings, your two deepest positions, you know, like that's the thing. And like, I just, there's no player here that you're waiting to build around. They're all up. All the guys that you're building around are up. Like, are you really going to piss away the best years of Carter Hart? You know, whether or not you think Provorov is the number one defenseman is subjective. I think he is, just not elite. 
So, I mean, those are the two building blocks of the team, in my opinion. So you have to just make the best of this. And you know what? Are they probably going to win a cup with this group of players? Probably not. But at least make it entertaining. Like the Holmgren years were fucking entertaining, but they didn't. They, they never won a cup. They came close once. They went to two uh, conference finals. But every single year, they were sniffing around, winning a series here, winning two there. At least you look back on Holmgren's track record and say, like, he tried each and every year. And I, I'm not going to say that Fletcher got dealt the same hand as Holmgren because at least Holmgren got dealt, you know, Richards and Carter coming up in their primes when he did take over. And he still had the flyers that were renowned around the league as a place that players wanted to come, like Danny Briere, <laughs> six months after Holmgren takes over, signs like yeah. an eight-year contract. So obviously Fletcher's fighting more upstream as opposed to Holmgren, but you have to deal with the cards you're dealt, man. And they do have some prospects that could get fetch you something, and that's why I'm saying, like, if it costs you, like, Joel Farabee and Cam York and a first-round pick to bring in a guy like Larkin, you do it. Because what's the alternative? That's what I ask. What, like, I, I talk to many people, and they're just like, oh, that's a lot. You don't think that it would, you know, screw up the future? I'm just like, well, what, what is future? the future? <laughs> yeah, let, let's say you hang on to Farabee, and you hang on to Konechny, and you hang on to all these guys. Like, this, this... I don't know. This fucking philosophy that they have going right now, trying to salvage the Ron Hextall plan, isn't working. That's it. And the thing it, is, it's clear that the Ron Hextall do, era still like holds tight. The fan base is still. There's a lot of people that believe that this guy was the savior, and all of his prospects are elite. And it's just like I go out of my way to hate Morgan Frost and Travis Konechny. Bitch, I'm just watching the fucking hockey game, and they suck. You know, that's not, you know, I don't go out of my way to hate Hextall players. If they were good, I would say they were good, but they're not. All of Hextall's draft picks fucking suck besides, like, three of them, you know? Fuck, Clungeroo is going to be 34 in January. Kevin Hayes turns 30 in the spring. JVR is 32. Atkinson is 32. Sean Couturier turns 29 in, like, three weeks. Uh, Scott Lawton's already 27. Your defense is, uh, you know, Sandheim's 25 already. Pro Rob's 24. Like, even the young guys on the team aren't young anymore. They're entering the fucking primes of their career. You know, these aren't prospects. Sandheim's five years into his fucking career. And the thing is, even if you were to utilize a lot of those younger assets, including significant draft capital, as I was kind of mentioning, but I want to flesh this out a little bit more, is that if you make the proper acquisitions, you really aren't mortgaging the future at all because you have these guys that are in theory here for many years on long-term contracts and producing. So there's enough leeway where you can basically throw away some of those developmental years and picks over the next couple of years while you have a guy like Hayes for four years, Coots for eight years, Larkin for an extension for their seven or eight years, Provorov on a long-term deal, Ellis long-term deal. All these guys are going to be here and afford you kind of that leeway to utilize that draft capital and those younger players because you have guys that are going to stay on the roster. Um, obviously, you know, we're not talking about throwing away all of these picks and prospects for a one year rental, unless it's like a McDavid, which isn't realistic anyway. But my point is that you can leverage this stuff and bring in a guy that's going to, or multiple guys that can help this team long-term. And then you can recuperate that over, over time. Uh, so I don't see 
I really don't see any problem with that. Now, if you if you guess wrong and you bring in the wrong guy, that's obviously a problem. But I don't see a big deal on this. If you bring in the right players, it's okay to kind of have that. Okay, we don't have a first round pick for three years. Whatever. You know, your team's going to be in the playoffs. You have guys that are solidified in their positions. It's okay to do that. And I think that they're just really afraid to make that next jump, almost like the Penguins have done over time. And the thing is, is that at this point, you're at, you've kind of are at a crossroads. And I mean, not even really anymore that we've talked about that you have to go into the win now direction. And I think that a lot of people are scared to go out and get like a Larkin or a Hurdle or another big time center because they're just like, well, you know, we already are paying these guys seven plus million dollars. Like, are we going to make Kevin Hayes like the highest paid three C? Like, if sure. that's what it has yes. to take, if that's what it has to take, then so be it. And the thing is, is that investing an abundance amount of money, like between 20 and $25 million into your center ice position is not like a crazy concept. Like look at the Toronto Maple Leafs. They invest that in two guys. Obviously it's Matthews and Tavares, but is let's say Larkin, Couturier and Hayes equivalent to Matthews, Tavares and Kampf, like in terms of overall value, like you can make the case, you know, you have Dreisaitl, rnh and mcdavid and edmonton like if you have to overpay at one position up front pay down the middle and if you have to go with like spare parts on the wings then so be it like play wade allison on the top line with i don't know larkin and uh, limblom whoever it is but the thing is is that you've tried this approach with this attack on from the wings for far too long it's been since like Braden Shen was around that the Flyers have been driven almost exclusively from players on the wing Giroux and Voracek and Konechny you know and down the middle who do you have you have Katori kind of in flashes when he's riding shotgun with Giroux Hayes had a nice you know season two years ago and the third line center if it's a lot and he's not generating anything if, if it was Derek Grant he's not generating anything they've tried for so many years with this half-ass approach and band-aid type of solutions at 3C, and it never works. And I do think that even with Hayes out, if you had another centerman, like let's say tomorrow they swing a deal for Dylan Larkin or Thomas Hurdle, and you bring them in, and in the process you sacrifice a Joel Faraby, let's just say, worst-case scenario, from on the roster. If you plop one of those guys in on this team, I'm not saying they're going to turn to a cup contender tomorrow, but it's a significantly better team. And that's why when people call for AV's head, I'm with Dan at this point where it's just like, you could fire him. I don't care. He's never been one of my favorite coaches. He's no Peter LaViolette in my book. But the thing is, is that when you look up and down the roster that played tonight, look at tonight's game sheet. Are you expecting anything more than what they're giving? That forward group is an embarrassment. It's an embarrassment. It is. It's absolutely pitiful. And yes, if you put Kevin Hayes back in the lineup, yeah, it will help. But with the way Katori is playing, with the way Farabee's playing, with the way JVR is playing, they're not fucking going anywhere. Like, they're not. And look, I was saying before the season that I thought that they had a chance to be, let's say, a top 10 or 12 team and be within striking distance of becoming a cup contender if they got a Larkin or a Hurdle. And if all things stayed equal and they weren't just brutalized with injuries, maybe that would be true if everyone was playing like they are capable of doing. 
But as we're seeing now is that like they all these guys need to get like knocked down a peg. Like the way that Katori and Giroux are playing on this team have to be utilized the way like Sorelli and Stamkos get played. I think Dan Knightley actually pointed that out on Twitter a few weeks back. Like guys, like if you're trotting out Giroux, Katori and Konechny as your big gun line, like you're not going anywhere. Like it was like I remember in the 2020 playoffs, like watching like the the, the national broadcast up here on Sportsnet in Canada, and like they're just like, oh, AV's loading up the big line with Giroud, Katorian, Voracek, and I was just like, that's embarrassing. That's flat out a joke. Barry Trotz was probably just like, okay, they can't move, they can't skate, none of them could shoot. Like, okay, Giroud can, but you guys get my point. It's just very yeah. frustrating. I think beyond all else. Beyond the coaching, beyond the injuries, the biggest fucking problem with this roster is you have no dynamic center depth whatsoever. None. None! Sean, (laughs) you know, the fact that it's 2021 and we're, you know, what, a month away from 2022, and a 34-year-old Claude Giroux and a 30-year-old Sean Couturier are your still top players. It's so sad. It's so sad that Claude Giroux has to do this at 34 years old, and he's still the guy, you know? How how do you fail so badly for so long to find any suitable replacement? Just one fucking guy that can come in and try and relieve some stress off of Claude Giroux, you know? How do you fail so miserably at that? In the lack of center depth, you know, Broussard and Lawton, you know, they've done their job. Nate Thompson's been fine, and Frost held his own, and... I mean, I'm almost positive Sean Couturier is hurt, but fucking beyond that, this guy doesn't know how to produce offense anyway. He's always been uh, the beneficiary of Claude Giroux when he was at his peak with his couple 30-goal seasons there, but you don't have anything. You Even if you brought in a Larkin and you limit Couturier and Hayes, those are two very good two-way guys, but even then, they're not going to be like offensive catalysts. You know, you don't have the benefit of anybody down the middle that has any kind of creativity offensively whatsoever. And that's the problem. Because that's why the wings go stale. You know, you don't have Farabee and Konechny. You you could drag those shitheads to good seasons <laughs> if you had somebody setting them up. If you put them on the wing of Connor McDavid, they look like fucking superstars, right? Because they have somebody that can dish them the fucking puck and set them up properly. But Broussard's not going to do that. Lawton's not going to do that. Couturier's certainly not going to do that. And that is where it's like the root of all the other problems. It's why your power play doesn't fucking work. It's why your regular scoring, your five on five scoring doesn't work. And then you blame the coach because the scoring doesn't work, but it's not his fucking fault that the scoring doesn't work. It's just that is the root of the entire problem right now is the fact you've got no center depth. So bring in Larkin and Hurdle at this point. How about that? Roll <laughs> Larkin, Hurdle, Couturier, and Hayes for four C's. There you go. Problem solved. Well, look. Mike, just let me jump in for one second. It's just a quick thing. Is Uh, that, like, I went to war with so many people, probably since the 2020 playoffs, because that's when I really realized, just like, okay, these top guys aren't going to cut it. (laughs) And I went to war with so many people saying, just like, sorry to burst your bubble, Katori's not that good. When you put him up against the other top-line centers, he isn't. And the th- and even if he's hurt, okay, whatever, but even at his best. But what I'm saying is, like, 
I think there's like a Stockholm syndrome sitting in that people have convinced themselves that no, 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 Sean Couturier, he's going to be the savior. He's the Claude Giroux heir. He's going to do this. And like when you get to a point. He's got a Celtic trophy. Yeah. And you get to a point where you think that Sean Couturier is going to be the guy to drag your team offensively to the promised land. You've reached a pretty fucked up state of mind. Yep. It's absolutely right. It's just it's, it's. I mean, it's absolutely right. I mean, I've been I've been fairly harsh on on Couturier ever since he got his new contract because the no movement clause really upset me because I knew that this was not going to age well and that when I see a one C on a competitive team more times than not that player offers a multitude of capabilities. Um, not only is that player doing little things, not only is a player a leader, playing defense, that player presents in a threat in the offensive zone. You know, perhaps they are not scoring 100 points a season, but they are a threat in some way. And Sean Couturier is not a threat in any way, shape, or form offensively, whether it's skating, puck handling, shooting. For fuck's sake, his nickname for, for years was Stonehands Coops yep. among season ticket holders. I mean, it was just ridiculous. He's, he's a fine player, and he does what he does very well. But you're trying to elevate him, and people, like you said, Anthony, people are considering the, you know, this heir apparent demigod that they he has to be the one C. I mean, if he plays out this contract, it's 18 seasons with Sean Couturier on this team. I personally have no stomach to watch Sean Couturier play 18 seasons for the Philadelphia Flyers. He's in his 11th right now, I think. It's just like I, I – I'm okay with it. He needs to be bumped down to a 2C role and a legit 1C that has offensive threat and dynamic capabilities in him. Uh, In that situation, this team might be cooking with something. But like you said, they're elevating him to a role that he cannot flourish in. He's not capable of offering all the elements that a cup-contending team has in a 1C. And I don't think there's any way to get around that here. He's not going to be pumping in 40 goals anytime soon. Um, we're seeing, oh, you know, that stat what, absolutely <laughs> broke me. <laughs> what is, what is, sorry, Dan. Yeah, it's just, it's disgusting. 18 right? yeah, years. Who, cut it off there. Who holds, what kind of team keeps their players together for that long with no success whatsoever? Fuck. <laughs> Jesus Christ! What am I doing with my life? Why? Why? Why are we doing you could, this? You could have a kid. So you could have a kid, oh and and the kid is born when Coots was a rookie, and then by the time his contract is up, your child is in college. Think about that. <laughs> it, it's 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 gotten to a point where. People are looking for answers. And, like, one of the questions here was... Wait, where is it right now? Uh, Oh, I just pulled up the what the fuck question. That's the goat of all questions. But, you know, this guy asked Keith, uh, at Keith TV, who could have made a difference in tonight's outcome, I guess, assuming uh, this is referring to last night's game, that the team should target, like Evander Kane, Kessel, Eberle, Tarasenko, Chikrin, Larson. And Tarasenko's another player that's coming up a lot. And again, like, even if you swap in a perfect world, you find a way 
JVR for like Tarasenko one for one. Like you hold Doug Armstrong, Doug Armstrong like for ransom or something, and 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 you make that trade. Like because he's a winger, it's like he's like a. For me, Tarasenko is like a sniper version of peak Jake Voracek. Yeah. He's like a shooting version of Voracek at his absolute best. And, you know, I said this for months, even though, like, I got sick of the player. I thought Voracek was their best offensive player from January 2020 up until he left. Yep. And he was the only guy who could make clean zone entries and actually carry the puck from the defensive zone out to the neutral zone and so on and so forth. So do I think that just getting a Tarasenko would, you know, make them win games? I don't think so, because what, you're going to throw Tarasenko out there with Couturier and Giroux? And okay, Couturier, uh, Tarasenko and Giroux, I think, would have nice chemistry. But again, like, there's that's still not a fast line. You need a player that brings speed up the middle of the ice. And you could go get a centerman or, like, a one of the best centermen in the league, like Panarin or Mitch Marner or something like that. But until you have a player that could do that from the middle of the ice and be a facilitator that makes everyone around him better, I just don't know if you can – there's a simple answer to this. And I guess that's why I've zoned in on Larkin just because he's fast. He, I think he's a top-line center. He fits the age trajectory of guys like Provorov and Hart 30. and more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's 26, I think. And the other thing is, is to kind of swing this back into the coaching is everyone hates the dump and chase. And I agree with that. But the thing is, is just like, look at the forwards. How are you like, how many forwards do you actually think can, you know, make clean zone entries and then post up on the half wall, wait everyone to join and then try and like facilitate a play? Like, I don't want guys like Limblom and JVR and Lawton and all these guys doing that. Even a guy like Farabee, like he's a guy who can wheel, get, chase the puck down at his best. Same with Travis Konechny. He's kind of like that Brendan Gallagher light type. Like even Cam Atkinson, a guy who comes in with speed. Like aside from Giroux, I don't think there's many players that are fit for like a clean zone entry type of hockey. And then you could say, well, they're a slow team. So like, why are they dumping and chasing? And I guess that's also a point, too. But then it comes down to they're not good enough. They're just <laughs> not good enough. Like, there's no – and I wish I could say, like, yeah, you add this player and then everything comes to fruition. Like, they added Pronger 13 years ago and all the stars aligned. But I said this so many times last winter with Dan is, like, when you're trying to fix this team, you make one move and then that hole opens up and then you have to slide that guy in that position. They're always, like, two or three transactions away. And I think that Fletcher did his damnedest to get them within a transaction or two away. But what this season is proving to us with injuries on the shelf is that even for them to get to that point, like everything has to go swimmingly. Like there's no margin for error, for injuries, for slumps, for this and that. If everyone is playing at their peak level, and I think the defense as is, if they're fully healthy, is probably able to win a cup. Like, if everyone's healthy, pay, playing at a peak level. But forward-wise, I don't know, man. It's just, it's it's tough. It's tough because it, there's no easy solution. In case anybody was wondering, I did start drinking during Anthony's rant there. <laughs> I've had enough. Yeah, I saw you pick up the bottle, Dan, after uh, after the old Sean Couturier 18 seasons. Uh, <laughs> understanding. And you know what's you know what's crazy about all this is that they've been searching 
for a guy like Braden Shen since they traded Braden Shen. I would yeah. redo that trade in a heartbeat. Give me Braden Shen back. You can have Frost and Faraby. Fucking Jesus Christ. Look, it, it's they they need a guy, and he was like a physical guy. He would stand up for his teammates. He could play center or wing. Yep. Uh, he was a, he was good in the trigger position when he replaced Hartnell in that role. Like he like that trade set them back. Like uh, it's they've been looking for that player ever since. Yep. That's what triggered me to officially turn on the Hextall regime. Um, and in fact, I was actually with I mentioned this probably like last year with Dan and Manny, but I was with Dan Silver at a um, a draft party in Philadelphia I'm when they so drafted Nolan Patrick. And <laughs> it was actually fun. We had a good time. Um, and and we're there, and they selected Nolan Patrick. Dan and I both wanted Heischer. Um, but they selected Patrick. We were okay with it. And then I remember talking with Dan at the bar, and we were, like, kind of, you know, like, discussing lines and, you know, the makeup of the roster at that point. And we're like, oh, it's going to be pretty good, man. They're going to have some good center depth here. You know, this is going to be solid. And then within, like, the next 45 minutes or hour and a half, whatever it was, the trade with Braden Shen was executed. And we were like, what? What the fuck? Like, in a vacuum, I guess it makes sense. Like, the value seemed okay, but it just did not jive with what this team was trying to do. And, you know, that 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 was the catalyst to, like, really make me start – start questioning. And then from there, things started to fall apart. And honestly, we haven't even seen the fruits from that trade yet because Farabee has not fully matured yet on the roster. Morgan Frost hasn't contributed jack shit so far. So what the hell is the point of this? (laughs) Well, another question we got is despite injuries, if things don't improve, how long before AV has shown the door? And I think we've already kind of touched on it, but I have no idea. I have no idea what the organization is thinking with AV. Because, like, here's they have to be on the same wavelength as us. It's like, you can fire him, but it doesn't solve shit, right? Because if they felt like... So. If they felt like firing him made a difference, they probably would have done it by now, right? Like, between last yeah. year and the last few weeks, he should have been gone. Like, I guess if things get so bad and the next few weeks don't get any better at all, you may have no choice but to pull the trigger on this one finally. But I think that if they truly felt like he was the problem, he'd be gone by now. I don't know how long he, what a leash he has left, but at this point, I don't expect him to get fired anytime soon. No, no. Well, no. I also was, I was thinking, oh, sorry, Mike, go ahead. Oh, no, it's okay. I have, uh, <laughs> I was just going to say, I really don't foresee that happening because, you know, AV was Fletcher's guy. And a lot of times in these situations, the GM will be afforded another opportunity to bring in like one more guy. But then if he strikes out again, then, you know, the GM is on the hot seat. Now, that may not apply in this situation because Chuck Fletcher also holds the role of president of hockey operations here. So if things go to hell in a handbasket, he can always say, you know what, I'm done with this. I'm going to bring in another GM. I'm going to retire off to the president role here, bring in somebody else and let them get their hands dirty. So, you know, I think that Fletch can he can play around a little bit with it, but I don't think that it's ripe for him to remove his guy quite yet. I'd probably say if this team does not make the playoffs, the heat gets turned up substantially in the off season. The one thing that makes me think that they may just ride or die with AV, at least for this year 
is that they brought in a lot of like AV guys, like the Yandels and the Broussards and the yeah, Atkinsons, true. and even Daryl Williams. I think that's his name, the yeah, guy who plays like even Hayes long term. Yeah, Hayes yeah. long term. Like these are guys that people said openly. I think Broussard said it. I think Yandel said it, along with Hayes being there. But AV played a factor. And the other thing is, is that. I don't think it was, it's a secret that AV was, you know, if he could have walked away and still gotten paid for this season, he would have. Like, yeah. he was not pleased last year. And you essentially chose AV over a large portion of the, you know, the core. And I'm sure guys like Katori and Giroux had a say in that. Like, I, I don't think that they did things without the consent or at least the opinion of these guys. But a lot of the moves that they've made over the last five, six months or so have been AV related. And AV kind of strikes me like a guy like he is a closer, like he's a guy that comes in to try and get a team into the promised land. And I know people like to say, oh, you relied on good quality goaltending. Yeah, so did every other successful coach ever. But <laughs> the thing is, is that like. You know, he shows up in Vancouver after a couple of years there in a cup final. He shows up in New York after a season, I believe, there in the cup final. Like, he's a guy kind of like Laviolette that isn't going to stick around for a building process. And when I look at him sometimes, he almost, like, it's as if he's thinking, like, what the fuck mm -hmm. am I doing here? <laughs> like, yeah. like, it's, and I don't know if that's rubbing off on players because if he looks like, and look, dude, guys, like, I... You know, my girlfriend's francophone. Her dad is francophone. When Quebecois get pissed, you know it. <laughs> so <laughs> the thing is, is that I don't think he's a guy that could really mask his emotions very well. And if he's trotting out this lineup of a bunch of unproven guys playing in roles above their heads, he's probably saying, what the fuck do you want me to do with this? We're not developing. We're not trying to look ahead to next season. We're trying to win here. We're supposed to. That's what he said when he got to Philadelphia. So I think a big problem with AV is that he was expecting one thing when he got to Philly. And the last 12 to 15 months has have been something completely fucking different. And in a way, I can't really blame him because like Dan has said, like Mike, you said, like, even if you do can him. What, you're going to bring in Mike Yo or even everyone's dream scenario. They bring in Rick Tockett like. I mean, look, I like Rick Tockett, but has he done anything as a head coach in Tampa or in Arizona? Obviously, you not know, in the best situations, but I don't think Tockett is going to pull a Laviolette and turn this team into a cup finalist. Why the hell would want to come here anyway? Tockett walked away from Arizona because he didn't want to be a part of that shit. He, I, the theory that Mike and I have talked about in the past is he stayed away from Seattle because he didn't want to be a part of that shit. Why the fuck yeah. would he come here to this pile of shit? <laughs> it's yeah. not like the grass is greener here, and... Unless things get real bad over the last few weeks, and they very well might, they I would could, assume yeah. <laughs> AV at least survives the season. Mainly because you don't have a lot of options out there right now. I mean, at, at best case, you're dealing with Claude Julien or Rick Tockett. Worst case, it's Mike Yao or Bruce Boudreaux. Both of which Fletcher's hired before. <laughs> Not looking forward to, uh, you know. Uh, so oh, I'll one up you, Mike Yo, and Boudreau replaces Terry. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus God! I... <laughs> As he takes a drink. 
So, you know, I was thinking about this recently and mentioning kind of Elaine Vigneault's expectations, you know, when he came in here. And I got the sense when he came in, and I don't have, you know, a particular quote like pulled out on this, but I think that when he came here, he thought that these top end players that the Flyers have are better than they actually are. And when he got here, he was like, you know, like really excited to come in and thought he could really do something with this roster. And then after a while, he's kind of realized like these guys actually aren't that good. And there's going to be a substantial need to do more if we're going to win here. And I get that sense, like you mentioned, Anthony, that like he's like, why am I here? What am I doing here? Like he's he's had success elsewhere. He doesn't need the Flyers. I mean, he could get hired elsewhere. He's made enough money in his career. He doesn't need to be through this bullshit if he doesn't want it. So <laughs> like I wouldn't be surprised if there is some sort of, you know, discussion at the end of the season when the rubber meets the road, if this continues in the way that it's going now, where he he gets in with Fletcher and says, look, like what's happening here? Like, are we going to mortgage the future, so to speak, to bring in additional players? Um, I don't know if I want to go through any more of this crap. Uh, and they may come to a crossroads and say, okay, well, we need to part at this point. And I wouldn't be surprised about that. Uh, Cause this is not, this is not a typical AV type of team. This guy, like you said, he's more of a closer guy. His teams usually succeed. They usually make the playoffs he has success going deep in the playoffs with multiple organizations, and the Flyers aren't 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 anywhere close to those teams. Uh, and I just don't know if he has the stomach for it. I'm feeling pretty good right now. <laughs> you yeah, wash away all the problems. There was a time towards the end of last season, the last like 10, 15 games, I was drinking pretty much every night during those games, just because it was the only way to fucking get through it. Um, so. Flyers, I blame my alcoholism on you. <laughs> um, but, uh... One thing um, one thing I wanted to get to is like, and this is more of like a philosophical question, is like, do you believe In Jesus? that... Santa? It's almost Christmas. Howard. Howard. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess, and you know, Mike, you brought it up that Fletcher kind of was given the keys to the kingdom in the sense that he's also the president. But, you know, like, I've often thought, like, what if they pulled, like, I don't know, like, a Toronto and brought in, you know, a guy like Brendan Shanahan or, like, Luke Robitaille in L.A., like, something like that. And for me, like, I always jump to Pronger, even though I don't think he gets the sense. But, like, do you think that it would... And I'm not even going to put this on Fletcher because, like I said earlier, like, I think he just jumped on a moving train and was just like, okay, I have to do what now? And I've said this numerous times. He's just been perpetually trying to salvage the Hextall plan. That's all he's yep. been doing. That totally is agree. his marching orders. Mm -hmm. He's been trying to salvage this plan because I don't think he's a dumb guy. I know people like to shit no. on him for Minnesota. But even in Minnesota, like people are just like, oh, like those Suda-Parise contracts. Like, no, two Minnesota-born guys walked yeah. up to the owner and said, we want to sign here. Yeah. And they're just like, okay, sign them. And like, Holmgren offered him the same deals, but they didn't want to come here. <laughs> exactly. So I don't think Fletcher's a dumb guy. I just think that when he came into Philadelphia, he had marching orders of get salvage this operation. So I don't even know if he will ever truly get his own kick at the can in his vision. So I don't know if he just goes up to president and then they appoint a GM. Like, I just... 
I have a hunch that the next GM in some form or fashion is going to be Briere. That's just my my assumption is that it's going to be Danny Briere. But like, do you think that eventually they have to just get the the Fletcher Flair regime out and bring in like a president of hockey ops, let's say like a Chris Pronger or even a Danny Briere? Or do you think that once all this shit is done and the you know Giroux Couturier era is d- over that? Fletcher will just slide up in that role and appoint like an in-house GM. Uh-huh. I think that's a great question, Anthony. And and this is what I think about it. And I think it all depends on personalities at the top of the food chain there. And what I mean by that is um, in this situation, like you said, Fletcher was brought in in a case where he he jumped on a moving train and he is subservient to Dave Scott. Dave Scott is saying, okay, I, I'm the leader here and I have this generalized vision. I'm very inexperienced as an owner, but I think we should do this. And I don't necessarily know if Fletcher has the balls to stand up to him and say, no, you're fucking wrong. Um, and unless there's a guy in there like a Chris Pronger that would do that and say, look, I don't give a fuck who you are. I'm, you know, I'm the head honcho here. I'm the president. I'm the GM. I'm telling you, Dave Scott, this is wrong. I don't care if you fire me, but this is how it's going to go. That, in that situation, you may see philosophical changes and a direct pivot to actually take a direction with the franchise. But until that happens, I think we're kind of in this, like, Fletcher's the new guy, and Scott is the inexperienced owner, doesn't really know what he's doing. So there's like that that leadership disconnect where they can't decide what's happening here. I think that Fletcher understands which direction they have to go and or understands they need to pick one and can't sit in here. But I don't know if he has the, you know, the personality to go up and stand up to Dave and say, no, you're wrong, man. Like we need to either rebuild fully and tear it the hell down. It's gonna take four years. Hextall did it wrong and here's why. Or we should mortgage the future, and here's why. And I think that it really comes down to that personality thing. Um, And I do agree that at the end of the day, it's either one of two things. You bring in a guy like a Chris Pronger who's not going to take any shit and doesn't care. Or Dave Scott is ousted. He gets too old to do the job, turns it over to somebody else. um, And there is a change of guard in that respect. Um, But those are the dynamics that I see in the front office ownership that could take this organization in a different direction and honestly has to because they're clearly in a spot now where they're going nowhere and they're spinning in circles. But anyway, that's kind of a long-winded answer, but I think it's a great question. Uh, Dan, where do you stand on this sort of stuff? How old is Dave Scott? Isn't he like in his mid-60s? That's it? Oh my God, he's going to be for 20 more fucking years. I I, I could be wrong. Don't quote me on that, but... I'm pretty sure he's he He looks old, but he doesn't look that old. and here's the fucked up thing, too, about Dave Scott. And, like, I I tweeted out something to, I think, Anthony Sanfilippo, who's done some really good digging on it. Anthony, I know you've also done some outstanding writing on this issue. Is I, I, I'm very interested in why Dave Scott is here and why Peter Luco is not here. Because Peter Luco <laughs> was Ed Snyder's right-hand man for decades. And inexplicably, in around 2013, when there was going to be the change of guard, Luco said, I'm out of here. I'm going to Florida. And all of a sudden, they brought Dave Scott, who was retired at the time, to bring him into the ownership leader position. I can't think of any situation in sports history, and I haven't done the research on it, but I'd be shocked that an ownership, that an owner was involved in a different industry and plucked out of that industry and inserted 
after he retired to be an owner of a team. That is so yeah. screwed up to me. And I think, you know, fish rot from the head down. We've said that, you know, multiple times before. And it just creates a problem from the top where there's no vision and no direction. And that permeates all the way down into front office management, players, all that sort of stuff, the way the organizations run. And that, I think, is that's really, really an issue here. So um, anyway, that's kind of my thoughts on it. But um, I don't know. What do you guys think on that end? <laughs> it's one of those things that just gives me no hope, you know. it's so much more than just a head coach or a lack of scoring. Like just from top to fucking bottom, everything is fucked up here. And just, I I do think Fletcher knows his shit. He's given me no reason since his time in Philadelphia to assume otherwise, you know, he, he didn't have a great stretch of, you know, time in Minnesota, but he's been just fine here. You know, his, Everything from drafting to the off-season moves to the changes to general. He seems to know what he's doing, but, you know, I I don't know what his relationship is with Dave Scott. I don't know what Dave Scott's ultimate endgame here is other than just to collect a fucking paycheck, you know. I, I just don't know, but it's so apparent that... You know, the Ed Snyder guy, the the hands-on, win-at-all-costs, you know, I'm going to write a check, whatever you need, is gone. You know, and it's never coming back, no matter who the fuck they would replace Dave Scott with, you know. And it's something that, uh, unfortunately, for lifelong fans like us that grew up with, you know, the, the, the Philadelphia Flyers of old, of, you know, the 90s and the 2000s, and the win-at-all-cost attitude just isn't, a thing anymore and it's not you know it's the way sports are trending in general and i believe i had this conversation i don't remember with who maybe it was shane i think we talked baseball in the off season because i overheard somebody at the iron pigs were talking very similarly you know it was just the 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 days of fans running sports teams are dead you know it's all corporate shit now and all the corporation cares about and dave scott we make gotta make the playoffs they want that sweet sweet playoff money they don't give a shit whether they make the stanley cup or not or whether they win it doesn't matter if you make it to the first round maybe second and you can squeeze a couple full wells fargo center games out of it great that's all he gives a shit about you know and it's sad it's sad that this is where we're at that the team that we all love so much sucks you know because this isn't what we're used to this isn't what I grew up with, you know. I, I, ever since Snyder died, it's been trending in the wrong direction. And you had somebody like Hextall who was sold the fans a bill of, uh, a bill of goods to believe in something that isn't a good battle strategy, and so many people bought into it. And with the age of social media now, I mean, fuck, I deal with these crazy Hextall motherfuckers on a daily basis still, and he's been <laughs> gone for like five years, <laughs> three years now, for whatever fuck it has been. I just. The outlook is bleak, you know, and and the team sucks, the ownership sucks, and just everything in between, and mm. it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that we're in this spot, and, you know, it's so much more than just fire Vigneault, you know? Well, this is my take on it, because, like, up here in Canada, like, Comcast for you guys is a telecommunications company, right? Like, a bad yeah, one at that, yeah. The cable giant, yeah. Okay, so up here, like an equivalent would be Rogers. Yes. And and Rogers owns every major sports team in Toronto. They own the Leafs, they own the Raptors, they own the Blue Jays. They even own the MLS team that no one gives a shit about, but whatever. We'll focus on the three main teams, and we don't have an NFL team, obviously. 
they appointed a president for every single franchise. And in hockey, we know it's Brendan Shanahan. Now, whether or not you like the philosophy of where the Leafs have gone in the during the Shanahan era, the Shanna plan, is irrelevant. But the point remains that they have been a very well-respected franchise for a lot of years now. And the way that they run things is amazing. And the other thing is, is that their their face owner, Larry Tannenbaum, who's kind of like, I guess, like the head of the board of directors of the group that owns the Leafs, uh, Maple Leaf Sport and Entertainment, Mm -hmm. like he's never around. He'll never get a press conference unless it's like a major, major like business issue. Like, let's say when the Air Canada Center became the Scotiabank Arena, stuff like that. Or when they're trying to sign these presidents, like the president of the Raptors had to get re-signed, so Tannenbaum was very involved. So this is an example that if you are a corporate-run entity, you can run it properly, but you have to let guys who are experienced run the ship here. Like Brendan Shanahan, the buck stops with him, and everyone knows that. Nobody thinks that Rodgers is going to come in and start, you know— you know, kicking around like what they think is going to have to happen. And that's why I never understood why Dave Scott was appointed. And to your point, uh, Mike, the whole Peter Luco issue, I think that when Snyder's health started deteriorating, and you could probably answer this better, that was around, what, 2013 that it started going down? It started in 2013, yeah. Or it became more public at that point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And was he losing power? Like, when he was fully healthy, did he have full reign with the Flyers? No. So, and I don't know the exact timeline, but there was, over a period of years, Snyder, well, let me backtrack just very quickly here. So he he created Comcast Spectacore, which is a, a division of Comcast. And Comcast Spectacore is basically the Wells Fargo Center, the event center. Okay. Um, and so they're the actual, you know, owners of the team, but they are a subdivision of Comcast proper. And um, Snyder, over time, was selling off his percentage interest in the team to basically that entity, Comcast Spectacore. And by the time that he that his diagnosis came out in the early 2010s, um, my understanding is that he was a minority owner. He still obviously had a ton of say as to what happened, what went on, because nobody would ever contest him because he created, he's Ed he, Snyder, he was yeah. the reason for, yeah, he was the reason for everybody's job. He created the franchise, but technically speaking, he was a minority owner at that point. So I think that at some point, and there's a story I know that I actually just, I can't share or else like I would get canceled from this source of forever. But Essentially, there was an isolated incident that kind of was a microcosm of what they hated about Luco, which was spending money for the betterment of the workplace, kind of unnecessary costs, if you will. And I think they said, well, we can't let this guy take over because he's just going to be Snyder light, kind of. And in my opinion, just, you know, kind of reading the tea leaves is that they saw it as an opportunity to cut bait from Ed Snyder entirely because his family wanted nothing to do with the company. Nope. I think they sold off all of their sh- their shares to Comcast like almost immediate following his death. The body wasn't even cold yet. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah, it's a great I, I, 
And I don't know why they went out and brought Dave Scott out of retirement to be the, the figurehead of the Flyers. I don't get it. I can tell you with certainty that one of the reasons Holmgren stepped down three years ago is because he did not like Dave Scott because he was a Holmgren, uh, he was a Snyder disciple. Yeah. But I just think that you're getting to a point now where, sorry, my fucking cat. Um, he, uh, he, <laughs> you see what he's doing? Look at this. Look at yeah, he's, um, he's kind of demented, Anthony. He's a moron is what he is. <laughs> An absolute fool. But anyway, getting back on track here is that if you didn't want the Snyder approach, that's fine. But then go get like, I don't know, like a Jim Rutherford or someone to just be like, be the filter between the Comcast board of directors and, you know, the hockey people like a Shanahan. And I just they think that got you- it in Dean Lombardi, which is weird. Like they brought him in, which is what I thought he was going to do, but he's taken such a subservient he's role. He's still here, but he just doesn't do anything. He's at the games. He goes to the games. Like, what is he doing? When the hell was last time? We brought this up on Flyerside Chat like a month or two ago. Like, Dean Bard, like, he just exists. Like, who is this guy? What position does he hold with this team? He's still getting paid, apparently, but what the fuck is he doing? Like, yeah. (sighs) No, Anthony, those are really extremely interesting points. Absolutely interesting points because. I think that a lot of the issues that we're, you know, that we discuss and Flyers Twitter discusses and other podcasts and writers, you know, all of this stems from that front office and that ownership group um, because they're the ones that choose the direction of the franchise. And when you have problems at the top, at some point, whether it's this year, next year, multiple years down the line, it is going to permeate down. Um, and there will be disorganization, lack of direction, lack of understanding, confusion. And that's what we're seeing. That's what we've seen the past couple of years. And, um, you know, I don't know what the solution is here. I think that there just needs to be a change, a change of guard in some capacity. And, um, whether that's bringing in a different owner at some point or, you know, Dave Scott dying off, I don't be, you know, I guess too morbid, but <laughs> if he can if he can be removed in whatever capacity and somebody else comes in with a different vision that actually wields that kind of power, that's fantastic. And Anthony, you brought up a really interesting contrast with the Toronto teams here. And one of the main differences with the Flyers is that you have a guy like Dave Scott who is um, more akin to, I forget the name of the guy that you mentioned as the owner, uh, Tannenbaum. Um, yeah, exactly. Tannenbaum. Yeah. And and the problem is is that Dave Scott is is making decisions on the hockey operations side is really? he is the final say on who goes in and who goes out. Like you cannot have that. You need to have a guy like a Chuck Fletcher as the sole guy. Dave Scott has zero input if you're going to create an actual franchise an actual direction for the franchise and that's the key difference and i think that's a problem because then it comes to the point where it's like okay well if chuck wants to do something he has to justify it to an inexperienced non-hockey person so he has to translate it into a way that makes sense to dave scott who has zero familiarity with hockey he made his money 
in, in cable television has nothing to do with sports and entertainment at all, or even hockey for that matter. So you've got a guy that's at the top of the pyramid here, and you've got a real hockey guy in Chuck Fletcher who knows what he's doing. He understands the league, understands how to build teams, understands how to win, and he's got to convince this like almost like a child on how to make decisions. And like that's a problem. That is a huge problem moving forward. And that's like, I'm really glad we're discussing this sort of thing because a lot of people don't. And I think it's super important for how this organization moves forward. Wasn't there so, I don't remember any of the exact quotes off the top of my head, but didn't Dave Scott have some kind of like very wishy-washy stuff at the end of last season when it came to trying to fix everything? Uh, the uh, you know over the off season he was like well we're gonna see what we can do and you know shit like that it was very like passive with the whole thing like he wasn't interested in actually making anything better he doesn't, he doesn't know, know. Yeah, yeah. yeah he doesn't know what to say it's just the thing is is that even if you have a privatized owner let's say the jacobs who by all accounts are terrible human beings but They've owned the Bruins for as long as I can remember. I, I've only been watching since the early 2000s. But even the Jacobs family, Cam Neely runs that hockey ops department. Yeah. Like, they don't, Cam Neely doesn't have to justify shit to the Jacobs. Like, it, up here in Montreal, it's a bit different because the owner is also the president and Jeff Molson. But the Molson family has a hist- like a long history with. The, with the Montreal Canadiens. His family has owned them in the past. The brewery is right downtown in Montreal. The Bell Center used to be called the Molson Center. Like, that's more of like kind of like a Snyder thing, like if Jay Snyder would have taken over. So that even makes more sense. But even at that, like, Molson always kind of lets Bergevin do his thing. But Dave Scott is like, they just plucked him out of nowhere, and it just, it never really made sense to me. And the one thing I don't get is that when Dave Scott came in, it was kind of like a new ownership group for all intents and purposes. Like, we knew Comcast owned a large percentage of the team, but like you guys said, the buck stopped at Snyder and no one was going to challenge him. And the thing is, is that when Rodgers bought the team from, it was actually, I think it was the Teachers Pension of Ontario or something stupid that owned the, the Leafs beforehand, Brian Burke was in charge of the Leafs. He was the president, he was the GM, and he had a decent thing going. It wasn't great, but, you know, Phaneuf, Castle, Lupul, that whole era of the Leafs. They fired Burke, I think, inside the first six months because they said, no, we want to do this our way. We want our guy. We want to rebuild this thing. And yet Dave Scott is giving Fletcher marching orders to salvage a core from a guy they fired. And even more so, the two <laughs> best forwards were drafted and they constructed by two GMs ago. Claude Giroux was drafted by Bob Clark. Yeah. Like, think Damn about 20 that. 20 years ago at this point. And Sean Couturier was like the only really known draft pick that, you know, Holmgren ever made that was worth a shit. How like, dare you tartish Marcel Nobels like that? <laughs> I, I just, I don't know why they haven't said... Like, okay, you know what? We're going to tear it down. We're going to start again. That's what I don't really get. I know that they're trying to make money, and I get that. But I would have to assume that Comcast has a shitload of money just like Rogers does up here. Yeah. I don't know why. 
I don't know why that they haven't given the mandate to tear it down. You know what's funny is if you tear it down and rebuild properly, you can do it in like two or three years. Yes. Rebuilding doesn't take a fucking decade. It takes two or three years. Look at the Rangers. Look at the Kings. All you have to do is suck for a little while. A little, you suck for two years. You go down bad your way. You rack up a few high draft picks by somebody who knows what the fuck they're doing. And you're ready to go. You can tear this down now and be ready to go by 2025 if you wanted to. But no, we're going to sit here with Sean Couturier until 3047 rolls around because they're fucking signed <laughs> to the end of time. God, I'm drunk. What the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> I mean, like I said, <clears throat> the main issue is that the people at the top of the food chain now have no experience in sports management. They don't understand how to move in a certain direction. They, don't under- they have no barometer of – and that's why the Dave Scott uh, uh, press conferences make no sense because he doesn't understand – where to go. He doesn't know what to say. He doesn't, he can't interpret the, you know, what's going on in the franchise to, you know, go left or right or stay the course or backtrack or move forward. He has no context to do that because he, he has no, he has no experience in it. He has nothing zero to do with hockey or sports, nothing. And he's the one that's making all of the decisions at the end of the day. And if somebody who does know what they're doing wants to make a decision, They've got to get his approval. It's it's such an ass backwards type of environment that just doesn't make any sense. And until that changes, and like I said, and like now that I'm thinking about this a little bit more, and we're talking about this in more detail, man, I really want a guy like Chris Pronger to go in there and fucking start some shit and say, look, like you don't know what you're talking about. I do. I'm in the fucking hockey hall of fame. Look at my ring. You know, we're gonna do it this way. And if you don't like it, then fuck off. You know, that sort of thing. That's that's the only way this is going to change, because everybody that's just going to bow down to an owner that doesn't know what he's doing. You're never going to get anywhere doing that. Um, And that's that's where I stand. And I'm really yeah, like I said, I'm really glad we're having this discussion because um, we're at a point with this franchise where I think this sort of talk is needed. Yeah. Yeah. Million percent. Million percent. But, uh, Dan, you're about to keel over and die there, or what? I'm fine. <laughs> a little tipsy is all, that's all. I took way, yeah, too, yeah, so, uh, way too many shots of whatever the hell that was. Jeff but he Daniels got some, like, uh, oh, my God, I don't know how you drink that, man. You drink the most ridiculous stuff. You should see what I have for the Christmas show. <laughs> see, I'm a true Canadian. Me, it's just beer, 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 more beer. That's all it is for me. Nice. I am a bourbon fan at the holidays, and uh, I love eggnog and rum. Huge holiday fan. I got ten bottles of liquor in here right now. Oh my god! (laughs) I'm I'm ready for the Christmas show. (laughs) Nice. Coming Um, up soon. What four weeks from Monday? I think we're recording. So one, two, three, four. Yep. (sighs) Well, we have gone an hour and twenty-four minutes here, so. Maybe we'll uh, wrap this one up and uh, good discussion, much needed. Um, you know, we'll, I've got a couple days off now, I guess. Uh, tomorrow's Thanksgiving here. I believe I'm doing a post game with Nick on Friday, but I could be wrong about that when you check dead states. I the uh, the schedule, yeah. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm drunk. I do apologize. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, we'll figure it out. Uh, but much needed a couple days off here just to get away from the stupid hockey team. Yeah. I guess they play Friday. You don't even get a couple days off. We get one day off. Jesus Christ. 
And it's the Hurricanes, isn't it? Oh, my God. <laughs> I got to drink some more. Okay, everyone. <laughs> at Dan the Flyer Fan, at Brotherly Puck, at Brotherly underscore pod. Plenty of shit up on the website right now. Uh, brotherlypuck.com. Uh, yeah, some hot takes. Got a lot of... Uh, I, I put a lot of shit out this week, everyone. Lots of good stuff. So check that out. Um, Anthony, where can we find you on Twitter? Uh, A DeMarco25. Mike. At Flyer underscore AF. All right, everybody. Until next time, goodbye and good night.